Welcome in to another edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, and we thank you for taking time to be with us. And Bubba, today we're going to unpack, uh, you know, there's been so many conspiracy theories. There's been some concern about, you know, if I vote, is my vote counted correctly? Is it legitimate? And plus taking on some of the technology modern day uh, that was used in the last presidential election. And we're going to try to talk to somebody today that actually deals with the process of us voting. Rick, our guest today is John Merrill. He is the Alabama Secretary of State. Uh, he was elected to that post in 2014, reelected in 2018. And just by default, Rick, he has to be one of the top 50 election officials in the country. But, John, I'm going to put you in the top 10. <laughs> I'm going to push you right on up there. You're so good to me. <laughs> Uh, so you, we know this for a fact because we live in the state of Alabama. Some of you that are listening to this or watching that, watching this may not know that, uh, you were committed to kind of, uh, getting the people out to vote, to be sure that people were registered to vote. We, we participated in that with some other folks here in Alabama. And first of all, let's talk about that. Uh, the, the state of Alabama, uh, it, it looks like your campaign was successful. Guys, look, uh, y'all know, and we've had many discussions here in studio, on the phone, uh, other places. Y'all helped with a voter registration drive, a voter ID drive. Um, I made a, uh, an intentional effort, concerted effort, since I became the secretary, which is uh, six years, one month, and 16 days ago, to ensure that each and every eligible U.S. citizen that's a resident of Alabama would be registered to vote and obtain a photo ID. And since January the 19th, 2015, as of today, we've registered 1,805,272 new voters. We now have a record 3,584,201 registered voters in Alabama. Uh, No state in the union has done what we've done in that same period of time. 96% of all eligible African Americans are registered to vote. 91% of all eligible white Alabamians are registered to vote. And 94% of all eligible Alabamians are registered to vote. However, Many of your viewers and listeners would be more interested in knowing that in that same period of time, we've removed more than 1.3 million people from the voter rolls because they've moved away, they've passed away, or they've been put away. And whenever that happens, they need to come off the rolls. So without exception, I feel like we have the best voter rolls in the nation, and that's one of the reasons why two weeks ago we were recognized as the number one state in the union for election security and transparency during the 2020 election. But some people still push back on the voter ID law, but we've broken records for voter participation in the last seven elections in a row. So I'm very excited about that. John, that that brings up a question, kind of where we can start this today. You talked about eligible voters. Uh, There's laws about who can vote and who cannot vote, set up by the legislature, not you. That's right. Your job is to enforce that, correct? That's what your office does. And they say you have to be a certain age. They say you have to be a a, a resident, and I'm sure there's detail in, in that. Why do you think there are people who oppose you proving who you are when you go to vote because and and you know i know there's there's a perceived advantage one way or another way as far as winning elections but you have to prove who you are when you go to the bank when you go to check out a book i That's mean right. when you get movie tickets and That's you right. you buy them online why would people be opposed to knowing who is actually voting in in our most precious right that we have. Well, what 
the Democrats say, the liberals, the progressives say, is that if you can breathe and you live in the United States and in a particular jurisdiction, you ought to be able to vote. I don't agree with that. I think you should be a United States citizen, should be a resident of that state, you should be at least 18 years of age, you should not have been convicted of a disqualifying felony, and you should be in a position to exercise your right to vote then. And anybody that believes otherwise, in my mind, and I know in y'all's minds, we believe they have some level of nefarious intent that is not productive or beneficial to the election experience. Because otherwise, why would anybody complain or be opposed to showing a qualified credential? In this instance, a voter ID, we have one of 10 different instruments that qualify. Uh, why would you be concerned about showing that? Well, that that's the thing. Like I say, you can't check into a hotel room without showing who you are. Mm-hmm. I, I just... I. I understand what they're saying that well you limit turnout, but do you really limit well, legal limit, turnout? Look, you're not limited turnout in Alabama, right? And that's the thing right. that we're concerned about because this is where we live. But look, I, I have a real problem with a number of the things that we're talking about, not the least of which is uh, related to voter roll integrity and voter roll maintenance. Uh, we have requirements by the federal government and the state government to remove people that are supposed to be removed from the voter rolls right. as a an intentional maintenance activity that's prescribed by law. Right. And that's not nefarious in intent in removing people when they're no longer qualified or they should not be there. Mm-hmm. They should be placed as inactive status or completely removed. Now, my friend Alex Padilla, who is um, um, – Hispanic American, uh, very smart guy, MIT, Harvard guy, Secretary of State in California, elected same time as me. Uh, he's no longer there. You know why? He got. He got. He's picked. the newest United States senator in Washington. Yeah, he moved took up. Kamala Harris's seat. Right. Now he's in D.C. The next person Alex Padilla removes from the voter rolls in California will be the first. Mm. He doesn't believe in removing people from the rolls. Now, why is that a problem? It's a problem when people know that they could influence the election in a a negative way to help their candidate win, either through a mail-in ballot or through an in-person fraudulent activity because you knew that person was dead or they were gone. You found a way to check them off the rolls for checking them in and to cast a ballot on that person's behalf. That's a problem, guys. That's a problem. And the only way that can be corrected the, the first way it can be corrected is by having voter roll maintenance and having ID so you have to present that when you cast your ballot. So will you clarify the difference between an absentee vote and a mail-in vote? Absolutely. With universal vote by mail, which is what most people are opposed to or have major concerns about and what the president talked about a lot, in our state it would mean that all 3,584,201 registered voters would have a ballot mailed to the address that we had for them whether they intended to vote or not. Mm-hmm. In the absentee process it means that any one of those registered voters has to request an absentee ballot application, successfully submit it, have it processed, have a ballot returned to the address that the voter provides And then, of course, you have to include your ID when you submit the application. We changed that law in 19. And then that way, when your ballot's returned, it's held in 
a secured location until election day, and then they open the ballots all at one time. They put them in the tabulator, and then they count just like you would in in person voting. That's the major difference, and it's significant. And and you have to qualify. There's certain qualifications, and and that varies year to year depending on what's going on. Uh, Most of the time, like being, I know our kids do, they're students, so they're not here. That's right. So we we get them to vote when they're here, then they mail it in. That's right. Or but you could be sick, uh, right. you could be incarcerated. Everybody that's in jail has not lost their right to vote, and so you you need to understand what the different options right. are. Also, uh, if you're going to be out of town, if you're working a double shift, uh, there's about ten different reasons. Oh yeah, your work as you, your work could take you to another country during that's right. that time. Your work could take you to another state during that. That's time. right. And, or some uh, people work. Uh, Issues dealing with elections. That's right. So, um, it, it just—it's just strange to me that if you really want fair elections, you have to have controls on it, John. It can't be anything goes. It can't be total chaos. But some people seem to want that, and we saw this. And and voting is really handled state by state. Yes, it is. And that's another. And, and that's thing. not a bad thing. I don't think. Oh, no. Some people have argued, but I think it's good that we decide how we want to do our voting. Bill, you couldn't hit it any harder on the head. You you have to understand this. We don't have national elections. We have 50 state elections for a national office. Right. And so that's why people get concerned about what's actually going on. And yet we have to understand that each state has their own laws that they're supposed to follow. Now, where we got in a major problem in the election that we had on November the 3rd is that we have a number of states that are not following their own laws in their right. states. Right. In their jurisdictions, they are not adhering right. to those individual laws, those guidelines, those principles that are inside their own jurisdiction. I can give you examples in the 67 counties in California, in the 67 counties in Pennsylvania, 17 counties in Nevada, 15 counties in Arizona, the 46 counties in South Carolina, and we can all give examples in the 159 counties in Georgia. So we have to understand that. But another thing that I think is so important to understand, and and we we look at Alabama as a gold standard in elections, and we are. We have risen to that point uh, when we received that A rating and was recognized as the number one state in the union for elections two weeks ago. That's the first time that's ever happened in the history of the state. I take a lot of pride in that. And you should. But one hour after we had our final results in on November the 3rd, You know who else had theirs in? Florida in their 67 counties. Now, Florida has an unbelievable administration of their elections process, but it didn't happen just because they wanted it to. It happened because of the disaster. It happened because of 2000 and Bush v. Gore. And they started in 2002 making changes that have made Florida exceptional in election administration. And they have 67 counties like we do. Florida is the third largest state in the union in population. So if Florida can get it done in the same period of time Alabama can get it done, there's no reason why every state in the union can't get it done in that period of time. All right, we're going to come back and dive into some of the finer points and ask some questions of John Merrill when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. All right, we're back. We're talking to one of the 50 Secretary of States, uh, John Merrill, out of the state of Alabama, talking about the, the November 3rd election, but also talking about the history uh, of elections. And I think, Bubba, the questions we want to ask, talking to America as we get to do on the big show, 
People just want to make sure that the integrity of their vote is there. And, you know, we always hear, hey, every vote counts. But I think for the first time since I've been alive, people don't necessarily believe that to be true. Yeah, there's there's a large part of our country that thinks at least something fishy was going on. They, they don't know. Some people think it was a total farce. But, uh, John, let me, let me go back to the point we were making a minute ago. We have 50 elections that put someone in a national office. Pennsylvania, some of these other states, clearly the process is laid out. The legislature sets up the rules for voting. Secretary of State enforces those. Correct. Due to the COVID pandemic, there were a lot of changes that took place last minute. Some of them implemented by the uh, Secretary of State, some of them by courts. Uh, some, some by governors. Some by governors. But ultimately, all of them held up in courts, even though they clearly – I mean, and I'm not a lawyer, but I can read what their their law says. They violated their own law. But why would a judge yeah. let that go? Why wouldn't they go, guys, no, back to the drawing board. If you want to change it, get your legislature in there, vote a change, then we'll do it. Well, look, there's a couple of things that we need to talk about related to that. And I think it's it's necessary to understand that we had a number of people, some of whom we know personally because of where we grew up and because of our neighbors in Georgia who requested of us, well, why didn't Governor Kemp call a special session of the legislature after November the 3rd and get those things corrected for the January 5th runoff? Well, it'd be no different than this, that in the national championship game when Alabama played Ohio State, if at the end of the third quarter the referees went to Coach Saban and said, Coach, look, y'all way ahead now and you feel comfortable about where you are. So for the next 15 minutes, every time Ohio State scores, that touchdown is going to be nine points. Their field goals will be five. Yours are still going to be the same, but you got to get 20 yards for a first down. And they only have to get five for a first down. Now, anybody that knows anything about ball would say, well, you can't do that. You're changing rules in the middle of the game. Right. That's what some people wanted to happen between the general election and the runoff. You could not right. change the rules that. and the laws. That's not acceptable. But what we saw some activist jurists doing in certain jurisdictions around the nation was actually changing election law. They attempted to do it in Alabama. Now, we pushed back against it. We had two cases that went all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court of the United States, and the Supreme Court ruled for us. Now, I've been sued as your secretary 22 times since I've been in office, and we're 22 and 0. And I think it's important for your listeners and viewers to know that. But you have to push back. Because if you don't push back, you got no shot. Right. And one of the problems we had in Georgia was that Brad Raffensperger, who was their secretary, acquiesced. And he signed a consent decree with Stacey Abrams, which resulted in some major changes in the election administration that made them more vulnerable, and those vulnerabilities were exposed. But again, at the end of the game, there was a judge somewhere, because all the—, the but every said, judge on the federal bench has not been appointed by Donald Trump oh, I know, or but, George but, Bush. But wouldn't wouldn't they look at a law and go, you know, this says the legislature. And I understand with the runoff. The runoff is part of the other election. That's right. That you can't separate them. That's right. But before we ever got to that point, why did judges not step in, not, not only in Georgia but Pennsylvania and all these other places where charges were filed and go, 
guys, that's not what the, the Constitution says. We can't do it that way. I'm sorry. I, sure, I think it's a great idea to have drive-in voting and same-day registration and all that stuff because I think it would help people. But that's not what it says. Well, it's not. But look, Bill, this is the thing. Those people are judges. And when they rule, that's what the law becomes. I mean, that's how we got Roe v. Wade. That's how we got a number of changes that took place. I mean, that's the reason the difference was made between Plessy versus Ferguson in the 1850s and then Brown v. Vord in the 1950s because changes occur based on who is in that seat and who listens to the case and who makes the ruling. And so one of the frustrations that a lot of people had when they were looking at some of those cases is they're saying, well, man alive, Alabama ought to be able to sue to do this or that. And one of the things that happened was a lawsuit in, uh, led by the Texas Attorney General. Steve Marshall, our Attorney General, joined in that. But one of the reasons why you knew that that was not going to be accepted if you follow the law or keep up with election law is because the Supreme Court was going to rule that they did not have standing. Right. They did not have the ability to influence what was going on when they had no vote in that at the local jurisdiction. Now, I will tell you, I had many conversations with the president's team. I had many conversations with the Republican National Committee and other leaders with the Republican state leadership group that encouraged them to make sure we were prepared to fight these things in court after the election if things went awry. But they were not as prepared as I thought they were. And the thing that you don't ever know is where it's going to go unless – you have someone in a position to bring a suit, but it has to be someone withstanding. Right. In the state. In the cast state. A vote. That's right. What about the, and I don't know whether this is true or not, and you may not either, and if, if not, just say, I don't know. But what, what I, we also heard was, well, some of the cases did not go through because the judges looked at the margin of victory and the votes that were questionable, even if Trump got every single one of them, it would not have swung the state. So they said that this this is not going to affect the impact, so we're not going to hear it. Did you hear any of that? Is there no, any validity that to that? No, w- that wouldn't surprise me. But right. the thing that you have to understand is it's not just about the presidency. Right. You know, I, I will tell you, I don't know that y'all know this. Um, one of the main reasons that I'm opposed to same-day voter registration is because of something that happened in Alabama. I was always opposed to it, but when this happened, this is the example I always use. I I don't know if y'all knew that in the general election for sheriff in Clay County in Ashland in 2018, after all the votes came in, that the Democrat and the Republican were tied. Dead tied. Dead tied. And so you can't have a recount until you have a loser. So they flipped a coin. They got a loser. And then the Republican called the coin toss and won. Instead of doing best of three, they did one. He won. So then they had a loser who was the Democrat. They did the recount. When they had the recount come back, it tied again. So Jim Suddeth, who's the sheriff over there, is the sheriff because he won a coin toss. Okay, But why is that important to this discussion? It may not have made a difference in the presidency, but it could make a difference. County commission, school board, sheriff, probate judge, circuit clerk, Mm -hmm. any number of positions because there's other races on the ballot. It's important to know that. Right. You, you you brought up a point right there, and I wanted to ask you about. Do we need to? Yeah, to so, so we'll come back and, and we will ask the question Bubba is proposing as we continue our visit with John Merrill on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Okay, so we're talking about the election, and there is, you know, there seems to be Bubba on the show. We talk about it more and more. 
it's a legitimate concern that big tech uh, they have agendas. They they will cancel you and. And many people ask, you know, did they target you based on what they know about you? And and then how would they ever know about me? I'll tell you how. Uh, is that they are following you and they are getting your data. They're, they know where you go. They know what you do. Uh, and you need protection. If you would like to, to say, I want to be anonymous online. I don't want big tech to know what I'm searching for, what I'm watching, what I'm clicking on. Then, then we are urging you to go to ExpressVPN. Now, when you switch own ExpressVPN with your computer or your phone, then right then above the IP address is masked by a secure VPN server. So they can't, they really can't see. It makes it a lot harder for them to see and identify who you are. The ExpressVPN app also encrypts the network data to protect any sensitive information from being compromised. Plus, you can use ExpressVPN on up to five devices, and that's important because most of us have more than one we want to protect. So you can do this all at the same time. The whole family can stay safe with a single subscription, and it's very, very easy to use. That's why they were rated the number one VPN by CNET and Wired. So here's what we do. Stop handing over your data to the big tech companies and um, some of the far-left enablers in the government. Defend your rights with the VPN that we trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash rickbubba. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash rickbubba. Now, why do I want to do that? Because we're going to get you three months for free uh, with a one-year subscription. Go to expressvpn.com slash rickbubba to learn more right now. We're back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, visiting with John Merrill. John, let me ask you this. You mentioned same-day registration. This sounds like a good idea. I, I want to vote. I'm eligible. I want to pull up here and register and vote all at the same time out of convenience. But there is a problem with that idea. In my mind, what prevents a bus full of people or multiple buses pulling up from across county lines, state lines, whatever the situation, and stuffing the box? What? Why is that a bad idea as opposed to registering to vote 30 days ahead of time because that would kind of mean you're a resident there you're in the area you got to be there to do that but again some people think that if you limit that you're you're evil for trying to keep people from voting the last law i passed as a member of the alabama legislature in 2014 was to ensure that you had to give the registrars 14 days before you could be added to the voter rolls it had been seven days and we, re- we moved it back to 14 so it would give them extra time to make sure that you were properly vetted right. to know if you should even be on the voter rolls because right. everybody is not eligible to vote. Right. And we want to make sure that only eligible voters can participate in the electoral process. The reason it's a good idea is to have another safety mechanism in place because the example that I gave earlier in the broadcast with Sheriff Suddeth over in Clay County if we had had people come from Cleburne or people that came from Randolph or people that came from Coosa or Tallapoosa, Talladega, to, or, or even, God forbid, Calhoun, to <laughs> Clay County to cast their ballot in that sheriff's race, then Sheriff Suddeth may not even be the sheriff today. Right. And so we need to make sure that only people that are eligible cast their ballot in the jurisdiction that they live. But some people will just lay in the floor and say you're being discriminatory, you're a racist, you don't want people to, to have their voice heard. 
But we do. It just has to be legal That's right. votes. And they're entitled to their own opinion, but they're not entitled to right. their own facts. Right. And the facts that we show is that empirically it's been proven that not only have we added more people to the rolls, and not only have we had unprecedented success in that experience, which y'all are a great part of that, but we have had unprecedented success in participation as well. We've done an inordinate amount to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat in Alabama. And, and even in your office, you're elected, you, you run as a Republican or Democrat. I think you've been very fair to everybody. I think you've gone the extra mile to, to have transparency on that. I do. Thank you. From and, where I'm at. And look, most of the Democrat leaders in our state believe that too. And that's one of the reasons why when you see the conversation introduced about our state or in our state, you see very few Democrats from Alabama, especially elected leaders and those in the legislative positions that say John Merrill has not been fair or we need to change our process because they know that I try to work with them to make sure that things receive hearings, to make sure that um, opportunities for change are introduced when necessary, but that we're going to always make sure we have safe and secure and fair elections in our state. So I'm sorry. Let me ask this. So, and I know we, this may be the us parlaying into the next part we'll talk about, and, and this gets into the voting machines. And yeah, all that's that. that's yeah. kind of worse. So I was going to kind of set that up by saying, and then we'll go to that. I'm almost starting at the end, and then working my way back. It seems to me, just as a citizen, and us doing the show and gathering information and watch what's going on, and the attempts to to use as as the left has always done in this country to use some sort of tragedy, to use fear, to say it doesn't matter what the rules are, it doesn't matter what the laws are, if, if we don't allow some bending, people are going to die, the world's going to end. You know, this is this is old in the playbook. It's sure it been, been there for a long time. And and I know in our state you stood up against people saying, oh, if, you, if I can't do the curbside voting, you're putting me at risk, and, and you inconveniently, as you said, but that's against the law. Exactly. Right. And so, but, oh, but it doesn't matter if it, what the law is because you're putting us at risk. But with all, we know all that was done and it was tried and, and we can debate if it was successful sure. and, and all of that. Is there, in your opinion, as of today, and that may change, anything better than the absentee voting the way we have it and people who have to identify themselves voting in person that gives us the most legitimate voter uh, the, the votes that are the people's voice. Is there anything we have right now that is more reliable than I need to identify myself and vote in person or I need to do an absentee vote? No, no, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, that's the gold standard for voting is in-person voting. And now since we passed that law, which I was a co-sponsor of in 2011, the credentialed standard of voter ID where if you don't have one of these 10 items, we'll obviously provide you with one. And as y'all know, I've been to people's homes before to make sure that they have a qualified government-issued photo ID, which we provide for free if they want to have it because we want everybody that's eligible to be able to participate. And if they want to vote through the absentee process, there is a way to do that. Uh, we have some legislation right now which we are moving to strengthen the absentee process. We want to do that. We want to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat in Alabama. But this also leads us into another area which we, we can talk about a little now or we can talk about later or not at all, depending on what y'all want to do. But three weeks ago, I was named as the national chair for the National Commission on Election Integrity. And we are collecting best practices throughout the United States 
and we are taking those to all 50 states for those states to consider to enhance their election administration. And there's five basic principles in that regard. Number one, empowering the states to do what they need to do. Number two, making sure that our voter rolls are accurate, up-to-date, and complete. Number three, to make sure when you participate in the gold standard, which is in-person voting on Election Day, that you have a credential that identifies who you are. Number four, in the absentee process or universal vote by mail, whatever you choose in your state, to make sure you're using secured mechanisms that will authenticate the transparency and accountability of the process. And number five, to ensure that when you have the canvassing of the votes, when the votes are counted through the tabulators, that there are no delays. There are certain procedures that have to be followed, and they are adhered to across the board in every jurisdiction in your state. Well, that gets us to that question about the, the Well, the let, let's talk about electronic voting machines. We have heard a lot about them. Obviously, there's more than one system out there that a state can uh, – do you, do you buy that? Do you lease it? How, do, how does that you stuff work? You can buy it or you can lease okay. it. And it's not unlike what y'all do here. Right. You know, there, there's a lot of different vendors that come talk to you about – what you want to do, what instruments you'd like to have, and how you'd like to conduct your business. Same thing with elections. So the Dominion voting system, uh, it was the talk. We had lawsuits. We've had counter-lawsuits. We had rumors of votes being sent to servers overseas. Uh, We had uh, CIA operatives raiding servers Will you please shed some light on that? What is what is real and what is just absolutely hogwash? Okay, well, the that? first thing that all of the viewers and listeners need to know is that we don't use Dominion in Alabama. Right. We use ESNS, which is Election Systems and Software, which is based in Omaha, Nebraska, and they provide us with all of our tabulators, our voting machines in all 67 counties. The other thing you need to know is we have three electronic poll book vendors that are used in our state. ESNS is one provider. No Inc., K-N-O-I-N-K, No Inc. is another provider. Each of those are in 33 counties. And then in one county, Mobile, we have 10X. So those are the three providers. Now, none of our systems are connected to the Internet whatsoever. As a matter of fact, When we bought our last round of tabulators, the voting machines, when our team started putting together the RFP, the request for proposal, to go to all the vendors for their consideration, I told them, I said, make sure that you have in the RFP that our machines cannot retain or have a modem component in it. And they said, why do you want to do that? And I said, because it comes standard. The modem component option comes standard. I don't want it to be in there. And they said, well, and and what's the reason? I said, because I don't want people like Rick and Bubba asking me, can our machines transfer data electronically through a phone line, through a computer system, because they cannot. So how is that transmitted? How do you get votes from mobile? You'd use a jump drive, and you put the jump drive in the machine after the polls close. You print out the results from that machine. Mm -hmm. You've probably seen the tape before because they take that tape, and it's got every race and every number on there that was cast on that particular machine, and then they put it on the wall there at the polling Mm -hmm. place. Every one of our 1,980 polling sites, it's 
at an outside wall on a window or a door so people can come by and see what the results were after the elections over that night. Then the ballots are retained because they're transferred by the sheriff's office back to the central location. We hold those paper ballots for a period of two years after every election is over, and the jump drive is taken and turned into the central location. Here it'd be Birmingham. Uh, at home, it'd be in Anniston. Cleveland County, it's Heflin. Tuscaloosa's Tuscaloosa, wherever your county seat is. Mm-hmm. And then they plug it in. They will match what the paper said against what the numbers are in the jump drive. And then at that point, you have your result. Those are the unofficial tallies for that evening. That's the way the process works for reporting. And some people say, well, that's antiquated. Well, you can also have people that are there observing the elections, and then when the paper comes out, they can call and say, well, Rick Burgess got 32 votes. Bill Bussey got 18 votes. John Merrill got 189 votes. Roll tag. <laughs> I noticed so, you, you, you beat us. So, so, I mean, handily. With, with it being that way, then at that point you know what the results were, and that data is also transferred, but that's unofficial results. All right, hang on. We're going to come back because yes, I want to dive into that. Yes, sir. I think you've opened up the next question. When we come back, Secretary of State in the great state of Alabama, John Merrill, our guest, when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. All right, Gabby, I just want to take this right now, and I hate to break this and I hate for John to hear it, but odds are most everybody's paying too much for automobile insurance and homeowner's insurance, and I'll tell you why we do. And I'm as guilty of it as anybody before we found this product. I just wanted to get insurance on the automobile because I was trying to get a car. I just wanted to appease my mortgage holder. Just get it done. I need homeowner's insurance. I need automobile insurance. It's required. I got it. I'm in. I just used the same old agency that mom and daddy used, (laughs) and they used the same one that mama and papa used. The problem is you've never really shopped to see if you could get the same coverage for less. And Gabby is designed to help you. And man, we're talking people saving, you know, anywhere between nine hundred and fifty to a thousand dollars on average a year. Uh, a friend of mine just recently uh, uh, sent me an email. Said, "I'm so glad y'all talked about this product. We just moved, so when we moved, we started the process all over again." And I said, "I'm gonna take a look at what I'm paying on the automobile and the homeowners." And guess what? He saved two thousand dollars a year. He was overpaying by two grand. Uh, so wh- here's how Gabby works. Uh, th- you'll put your inf- insurance information in. It takes just a few minutes. And for no charge, uh, no obligation, they pull up 40 of the top insurance providers. The biggies are there, Progressive, Nationwide, Travelers, uh, State Farm, the list goes on and on. Then you look at what your insurance company is charging for the same exact coverage on the home and or the automobiles, and you take the one that's the better price. And you may find out that you're overpaying uh, so much that you're willing to make the move. And like I say, many are saving. The average is $950 to $1,000. So if you want to find out, it's totally free to check it. There's no obligation. Go to Gabby, G-A-B-I.com slash Rick Bubba. That's G-A-B-I.com slash Rick Bubba. That's go to Gabby.com slash Rick Bubba. We're back on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, wrapping up the last 10 minutes or so with Secretary of State from the great state of Alabama. He's been that since 2014, John Merrill. And you just said, that as Secretary of State in the state of Alabama, people come to you on tabulating votes like they would a pharmaceutical company would come to doctors. People come try to tell us what equipment to use, and people try to tell you, use our stuff. And you in the state of Alabama said, I don't want to use anything that, that connects to the Internet. And people probably start saying, oh, John, 
You backward Alabama people. Look, <laughs> I'm going to be full disclosure. We've been on the show before, and we've even had the discussion. Is this old and antiquated to do? Come vote in person with your ID. Why can't we do this on the Internet? Why can't we do it this way? Well, I think we're all discovering until that Internet gets a little more secure, we don't want any part of it. Is no that doubt. was that your was that your thought process? Well, no doubt. But look, I was not joking when I said I don't want Rick and Bubba asking me this question. <laughs> I don't want people in Casada, Wedawi, or Red Bay asking me that question either, <laughs> because I want them to know that our elections are safe and secure, right. and that our elections are transparent and accountable, and that they can rest assured that they know that when they cast their ballot for the candidate of their choice, it counted for that person. That's what everybody wants to know. When people know that, they have confidence in the system. And until they know that, they don't have confidence. John, what about people who would say that, look, we bank online now. I mean, we that, that's one of the most secure things that we have to have. If we can transfer money in our bank account with an app on our phone, surely there's a way to make voting secure well look there's two things that y'all need to know one we actually have electronic voting for our military servicemen and women those that are deployed internationally that are not domestically located they can vote through the electronic process by getting information through an email being directed to a secured website so they can go when it's convenient for them Mm -hmm. and cast their ballot for the candidate of their choice we led the nation in military participation in 2016 because we were the first state in the union to have electronic ballot delivery and electronic ballot return for our military servicemen and women. I'm very, very proud of that. But that's for a restricted audience. Now, I will tell you, we've got a bill in front of the Alabama legislature today that we want to pass that will enable our blind, low vision, or sight-impaired voters to be able to vote electronically as well because that is a restricted group of people who cannot read like we can. They could read through Braille, but they cannot read an instrument that's presented to them in front of their eyes because they don't have the same vision capability that we have. But they all have sight readers that are on their computer Mm -hmm. that's provided by the Department of Rehabilitation Services or the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and the Blind. So when they are qualified as blind, low vision, or sight impaired, a very restricted population, they will be able to vote electronically as well. Now, they will have to be able to take their ballot and return it once they print it out at their site and send it to the absentee election manager in that county so it will count. So they can't return their ballot electronically, but they can have it sent to them electronically because that's accommodating them and allowing them to vote independently, which is what we would all want. Now, they can vote in person independently right now at all 1,980 polling sites by going there and using the Automark machine. They can do the same thing in the absentee process by voting absentee in person. But if they vote absentee by mail, they can use the computer. John, why can't we make like what you were describing for our military people, available for the general population. What What's holding that back? Well, today, me. You're just not... I'm not supportive of that. Yeah. Now, I'm not. it's not that I'm not supportive because I don't believe it's secure. If I didn't believe it was secure, I wouldn't be using it. At f- all. No. Yeah. But the reason is because those people can't help where they are. Right. If your company, if you work for Exxon and they send you to Saudi Arabia then you can't help that you're in Saudi Arabia if you want to keep your job. So you're a qualified voter if you live in Alabama working for Exxon in Saudi Arabia. You can vote electronically just like our military servicemen and women can. But they are there because they've been assigned to go there. Right. Yeah. And, and we are not. 
Well, and, obviously you believe that the opportunity for corruption is there or you wouldn't be so against it. Well, look, the opportunity for corruption— I'm talking about if you did it across oh, oh, the whole yeah, state. Yeah, is, is there in anything you do? Sure. Guys, any, anything you do. Right. But, you, but at least you have ways to, to minimize it. You're thinking— And so we're minimizing it now by not making it available because right. it's not necessary to make it available because we're breaking records for participation right. in the ways that we're currently using. And, and no Secretary of State's office has broken the records with the consistency that we have, well, ever in the history of the state of Alabama. And, and I'm very, very proud of that. So did Dominion pitch you? Did you? Did you? Oh have, yeah! Look, all the vendors pitch you yeah. because they all want your business. But you said no to Dominion. We said no, thank you. How, how yeah. many voting systems would qualify to come in and and provide that service for Alabama? In other words, what what did you have to choose between? Well, there's a number of them, Bill. Look, and 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 there'll be some new ones that are created now because right. of what we've just experienced. I had somebody come by yesterday with some new ideas, and we have people like that all the time, and we always want to be pleasant to them, mm-hmm. and, and we want to listen to what they've got to say. And at some point, somebody right. may introduce something right. that we say, hey, this needs some additional consideration. But just to do it because we need to change, no, we don't necessarily need to change. <laughs> so uh, can, can you address the Dominion situation? Well, look, I, I, a number of the things that were introduced about Dominion were not factually accurate. Right Now, I have visited with a number of secretaries who use Dominion as a product, uh, obviously, the future of that company is now on the line. Uh, they want to make sure that people still believe in them and, and the services that they're right. providing. There were no problems in Louisiana. Louisiana uses Dominion exclusively. Uh, they, they didn't have concerns. They did not have issues. Um, other states, not so much. Do they use foreign servers? No. No, no. And so look, that was no, totally wrong. Exactly. And, and, and the people who say, well, I've got documentation to show. Yeah. Well, you know, there's people who still... Don't think Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. I know. Okay. Uh, don't don't talk don't about do Greg this. right now. <laughs> right. Just, he's not here to defend yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah. We got people that think the Earth is flat again oh, too. But. The flat earthers have kicked back up my, the last few years. That's goodness. a personal favorite of but mine. Then, but so let's just uh, be no clear. No transfer of data yeah. went from a single jurisdiction in any one of the fifty states to any location outside the United States to have that data reimported to a central location in any state for verification of the ballots. Okay, so uh, still on Dominion, it is well known and documented that they pitched Texas. Texas tried it out and decided not to go with it because they said it failed not once but two security tests. Can you tell us what that was? I know you're not the Secretary of State of Texas, but do you know in no, the industry I, I what don't. that was? Now, Is I that could, accurate that they, they did? We don't have to know the well, details. I don't even know the answer okay. to that question, okay. but this is what I do know, and this is a frustration that I've had since I became the Secretary. We do not have a central mechanism in place in the nation that evaluates election equipment, tools that can be used in the elections process, to help an individual determine whether or not this is a good product or not. One of the things that I've advocated for, and I'm a member of the Election Assistance Commission, which is made up of election officials from all around the nation, and we make recommendations to the EAC uh, and to Congress about things that need to be done. And I, I, I shared in the first meeting that I attended, which was in uh, Virginia in 2015, that I felt like we needed the EAC to take on a different role. And that role would to be, uh, and, and y'all are old enough to remember this publication, but there, there used to be a, a publication that would evaluate 
um, cars, mm-hmm. refrigerators, and in do consumer reports. It was consumer reports, yeah. and and so I I have said you need to be the consumer reports for elections because now what what are you doing? Well, I'm calling Carl, uh, Kyle Ardine in uh, Louisiana. I, I'm. I started to say I'm calling Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, but I'm not. Uh, I, I'm calling uh, Brian Kemp when Brian was the secretary right. in Georgia, Trey Hargett in Tennessee, Laurel Lee in Florida, or Ruth Hughes in Texas, and all these other secretaries and saying, what has your experience been right. with this vendor? How comfortable are you with them, with these products, these things that we're considering? All of those things are so very important. So with a minute on the clock, um, can – the citizens of this country is their concern that when they vote, it's not counting. It's not. It's not. It's not being legit. I know there's 50 different elections. But, sure, but you're against something federal. You oh, think uh, we're, you're, you're, we're better completely off. against it? Yes, sir. Because we do not need people in Washington D.C. making laws that we have to follow in Alabama when it comes to the administration of the election in our 67 counties. Now, we don't want anybody mistreated, and we're going to make sure that that does not happen. And in the past, those things have been necessary. They're not today. But I will say this. In Alabama, our people know that when their vote is cast for the candidate of their choice, it counts for that person. And that's why chairing the National Commission on Election Integrity is important to me to take that same pattern across the nation so people have confidence in the process. John, in the U.S. Congress right now, H.R. 1 is being debated. It probably will pass the House if it hasn't already. They're wanting to set national standards. Yes, they are, and I've testified against that in Congress three times. They're the things that we think open up elections to mischievous things happening, like same-day registration, all this. Is that going to pass, and can the Congress do that? Uh, oh, oh, yeah, they can do it. I mean, the Congress can do anything. Yeah. And and I believe it will pass in the House. I believe it will pass now in the Senate, whereas before, when I testified against it three times, Senator McConnell and I had talked about it, and he told me, don't worry about it, John. It's DOA when it gets to the Senate. He can't say that anymore right. because of the way the split is. But I do have confidence, and we will be one of the states that will file a suit against the federal government and take it all the way to the Supreme Court if it passes, because we do not need Washington telling us what to do in the administration of our elections. John Merrill, Secretary of State for the great state of Alabama, thanks for being with us today. Great to be with y'all. A lot of information, John. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, and thanks to all of you for watching and or listening to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.